This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good afternoon and welcome to Enterprise BizBytes. I'm Roshan Kanesan. Earlier this month, Uber reported an operating profit during a fiscal quarter for the first time in history. The company reported its second quarter earnings for 2023, which included a net income of 394 million US dollars for the quarter. That's up a billion dollars year on year and about just under 600 million versus the preceding quarter. The company attributed its gain to a 22% increase in trips on the platform. Combined, of course, with cost discipline, quote-unquote. On the back of Uber's first operating profit today on Enterprise BizBytes, we're going to take a closer look at home and see what this latest earnings report from Uber tells us about Grab's path to profitability. We'll also explore the fundamentals of Grab's business model, how it compares with global peers, and what its asset-heavy acquisitions like Jaya Grosa and Singapore's TransCab say about its long-term strategy. Helping us out with this topic today is Simon Huang, Chief Analyst at Tech in Asia, a technology news website covering topics on startups and innovation here in Asia. Simon, welcome to the show. Hi, Roshan. Thanks for having me. A pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for making the time. I've been reading your stuff and it is quite interesting to see the kind of analysis that you do on startups and uh, in Southeast Asia, particularly the listed ones. Um, give us a sense of how long you've been with uh, Tech in Asia now. Yeah, so I started writing with Tech in Asia in September 2020, but I was actually freelancing at the time. I didn't expect that I would like it so much. Uh, decided to join full-time in March last year. So I've been here for, I would say, almost one and a half years full time and I'm still enjoying it. And you have a penchant for data crunching and analysis. Um, Where does that come from? Have you always been a a number cruncher? No, I wouldn't say I've always been a number cruncher, but it's something that I got more interested in in my previous career when I started to have an income and wanted to find ways to make my money work for me. Mm. And so I started looking at investing and then I got really interested in that. And so I think I explored, you know, investing and also um, did PFA, um, did an MBA as well. So I think that's where the numbers, uh, the facility with numbers came about. It was never something I was very comfortable with um, when I was younger because I was very much an arts language Ah. kind of person. So the CFA and the MBA surely changed that, I think. To get through all of that, you you would have had to do quite a bit of analysis. You can't say that you're not a numbers person when you want to do this thing. Yeah. Um, so speaking of numbers, Simon, let's jump into the first question today. Yes. Now, Uber, as I mentioned earlier, uh, announced its first operating profit ever, $326 million in the second quarter. Now, there's obviously a debate over how much they burnt to get to this number, but that's a conversation for another day. Uh, the company's net income beat expectations coming in at that number, but instead uh, instead of the projected loss that they were initially see, uh, expected to see, tell us a little bit of what, uh, what you make of all this and what does it tell us about Grab's path profitability? Sure. I think this shows us that the ride-hailing slash food delivery model can be a profitable uh, can be a profitable business, right? So that's I think the sigh of relief from a lot of people. <laughs> These businesses can make money. I think when you look at the Uber results beyond operating profit, if you look at you know their cash flow, it's actually positive as well. Um, and it was like 1.2 billion in the last quarter. So I think that this is something which is 
you know, across the board for the company on EBITDA, operating profit, cash flow, things are all positive. And I think that's good. That's it. Only the last quarter where this happened. So I think we have to see how things develop. But I think it's definitely a positive sign for the industry. And how this relates to Grab is that Uber is sort of uh, ahead of Grab, right? It sort of, uh, it's, it's a, it started before Grab and it listed before Grab. So I think you can look at Uber's journey as a potential map for Grab in the future. And if Grab follows the same track as Uber has, they may start to turn an operating profit by about sometime in 2025, right? Based on where they are now compared to where Uber was. It's a very rough comparison, but I think, yeah, um, sometime in 2025, we may see Grab also making an operating profit. Now, that said, Uber isn't a direct comparable to Grab, right? Uh, they, you know, while they started from the same mould, uh, and in fact, uh, Grab bought, uh, acquired Uber's assets in Southeast Asia, yep. um, Uber stuck to mobility and food, whereas Grab has expanded into fintech. It's even yes. working with Singtel to build a bank, a digital bank. Um, could you enlighten us with the fundamentals of Grab's own business model and how it aligns or differs with other comparable super app or e-hailing companies, whether in Asia or beyond? Sure. So when we look at Grab, I think there are three main businesses that you have to consider. As you mentioned, deliveries, mobility, and financial services. There are other businesses, but those are much smaller. So I think, you know, for these purposes, we don't really need to look at them. And if you break it down into revenues, by revenue, and I'm just going to use the last quarter um, figures which are available, which is Q1 2023, deliveries revenue is 52%, so about half. Mobility is 37%, and financial is smaller, 7% of the business. But if we look at profitability, the mobility business is actually much more profitable, right? So I look at segment-adjusted EBITDA as a percentage of revenue, and mobility is like at 78%, right? Wow. Um, deliveries is 22%. So a lot less profitable. Financial services is still loss-making for now. So that hopefully gives you a sense of where they are in, you know, what the sizes are, how profitable each segment is. Now, what is the strategy for Grab? I think... If you look at their business, you know, they have combined deliveries and mobility. That does bring certain benefits, right, for various stakeholders. So for consumers like you and I, if we are looking to order food, if we're looking to hail a ride to the airport, we use the same app. So that does lock us into the system. You know, you keep going back to the app. For drivers or, or, or business partners, if you are driving for Uber, you can choose to drive, you know, your car for the mobility side of things. You can also choose to deliver food, deliver groceries, and um, that there are some benefits to having that um, what are more options available for you to make money from the platform, right? Uh, so I think uh, there are definitely benefits there. So I think that's the first strategy, combining deliveries and mobility, which Uber has done as well. The second part of this um, strategy is actually the financial services, which is targeted to users on the platform. So, for example, right, um, they are making loans to drivers or to restaurants, right? And they actually have a lot of data on the driver's, mm -hmm. you know, ability to pay back the loan on how the restaurants are doing because all these transactions are taking place on the Grab, on the Grab platform itself. So, I think um, that's where financial services, where they have an edge, right? It's um, for transactions and users that are already on the Grab platform. 
And um, finally, I think the third leg to the strategy, which is something that they have been emphasizing more recently, is this idea of expanding the total addressable market, the TAM, by introducing more affordable options. So you have reintroduction of ride-sharing in some markets like Singapore and I think the Philippines. There are options now for cheaper deliveries of your food if you choose to wait for a longer time. And the hope for Grab, I think, is that by lowering the cost, they will be able to attract more people who would not otherwise use the platform, right? And so to tie it back, to offer cheaper options, you need to reduce your cost to serve these customers. And that's where the scale of having a larger business helps, right? So that's where you go back to having benefit of not just mobility, but also delivery. So I think those are the you know three main strategies I would say Grab is using. Um, second part of your question was on what do we compare Grab to? As yeah, you mentioned, how does it think, align with other comparables? Yeah, it's difficult to make um, an apples to apples. I don't think there's any company that's directly comparable with Grab. You know, we mentioned Uber, of course, but Uber doesn't have financial services and it's uh, more, you know, US, Europe focus. Obviously, Grab isn't in those markets. Those markets will have different economics, right? So it... I think it's a useful guide, but we have to have those caveats in mind. Um, I would say GoTo is pretty similar to Grab. Of course, GoTo is the um, Indonesian ride-hailing um, uh, food deliveries platform, Gojek. But of course, they had their own merger with Tokopedia, which is an e-commerce website, right? And Grab doesn't really do e-commerce in that sense. Um, and GoTo is mostly in Indonesia, although they have some businesses elsewhere, but mostly in Indonesia, whereas Grab is Southeast Asia. Right. The other company that people always like to compare Grab to is C, uh, which owns Shopee and Garena and also does financial services in the region. But of course, yeah, it's a different mix of businesses. And C also has a really large, you know, growing business in Brazil. So it's also a bit different there. Um, yeah, some other companies worth mentioning, I think, is a Delivery Hero. It's listed in Germany. They own Food Panda, but they're only in food. And um, yeah, their business is also more um, emerging markets focused, right? So Latin America, Middle East, Eastern Europe, as well as Food Panda. So, so I, could, I could go on, but I think it's difficult to, to make direct comparisons. That said, um, these companies, some of these companies would be ones that we will look at to try to get an idea of, of where Grab stands. I think people like to compare, right? <laughs> so... These would be the universe of companies you know people tend to look at when comparing to Grab. In, in a way, it does feel like Grab is one of those conglomerates, one of those holding companies that has a lot of separate business units under it. Um, yeah. So it's a bit hard to compare a conglomerate to another one, depending yeah. on the industries they're in. Uh, yeah. But this, different business segments can be compared, or at least can be uh, attributable, uh, yes. comparable to other uh, businesses out there. Yeah, uh, that is true. But uh, I think it, what makes it challenging for me <laughs> is that a lot of them report different numbers. Mm, yeah. So, you know, they may report what appears to be the same, like gross merchandise value, for example, but like it differs in how they calculate it. Even the revenue can be different, right? So there are these differences here and there. Some of them choose to review certain things that others don't. So it makes it hard. But, you know, I, I think for us at Tech in Asia, we do try our best we caveat it and then, you know, we go ahead anyway because um, I think it is useful sometimes to, to, to make these comparisons. Yeah. 
Folks, I've been speaking with Simon Huang, Chief Analyst at Tech in Asia, a technology news website covering topics on startups and innovation in Asia. On the back of Uber's first operating profit today on the show, we're taking a look closer to home and exploring what this latest earnings report from Uber tells us about Grab's story ahead. You're listening to Enterprise BizBytes. We'll be back in just a bit, so keep it here at BFM 89.9, the business station. Boyish 40-something millionaires. BFM. 89.9. BFM 89.9. Good afternoon and welcome back to Enterprise Biz Bytes. I'm Roshan Kanison. If you just joined us earlier this month, Uber reported an operating profit during a fiscal quarter for the first time in history. On the back of that, today on the show, we're looking at closer to home and exploring what this potentially tells us about Grab's path to profitability, the fundamentals of Grab's business model and how it compares with global peers. We're also going to be getting into what its asset-heavy acquisitions recently like Diagrosa and Singapore's TransCab, TransCab tell us about its long-term strategy. Helping us out with this has been Simon Huang, Chief Analyst at Tech in Asia, technology news website covering topics on startups and innovation. Simon, thanks for staying on the line with us. Um, so earlier we got into um, the business model. You gave us a little bit of a sense for the different revenue segments and the profitability of the segments, right? So largely at Grab, it's broken down into food, which is, I think you mentioned, 52% of the business in terms of revenue. Mobility is about 35 to 40% percent and fintech uh, is about seven percent of revenue at this point or at least yes. based on the last quarterly numbers yes now overall grab's first quarter 2023 saw revenue jump 130 percent to just uh, over 500 million us dollars uh, it also it saw it reducing its adjusted losses for the quarter by 77 percent on year earlier we talked about the different business segments and that based on uber's trajectory you expect uh, grab to be able to turn a profit by 2025 again not a direct comparison of course so based on their most recent earnings report based on uber's report uh, give us a sense of how uh, of what you think the grab's journey to profitability could look like sure yeah i think um when I was preparing for this, right, I <laughs> had like more complicated, you know, numbers and percentages. But I think to, to make it simple, we just have to look at where the company was, say, two years ago, just after they, they listed on the NASDAQ. And, you know, at the time, that's when the Fed started to increase interest rates. And so money is no longer free. Cost of capital is going up. Investors start to say, look, we don't want to look at just, you know, growth. We want you to show that you are able to make a profit. And so that's when all these tech companies had to start cutting, right? So you have all these layoffs, you have cutbacks on sales and marketing, on advertising, on incentives. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know about you, but definitely over here when we use ads, you know, you no longer get so many, you know, freebies. Yeah, yeah your points aren't as valuable either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's all part of this, you know, um, efficiency for the tech companies. Maybe good for investors and not so good for consumers. But I think the, the trend has been that, and they've managed to, they've managed to reduce, you know, the, the spend. And so um, while not profitable yet as a whole, and I'm looking at profitability on um, a measure that Grab users call um, adjusted EBITDA, um, they do expect to be, um, to break even by the fourth quarter of this year, right? So I think they are getting there. The problem is that when you cut incentives, when you cut spend, revenue growth um, does tend to slow down. So, uh, you know, you mentioned that, yeah, revenue did jump. Um, but if you look at uh, gross merchandise value, which is um, one of the drivers of revenue, that's the value of all the transactions on the platform. Um, 
year on year, right, for Q1, it only rose by 3%, right? Mm. So actually, um, um, this is basically a sign that, hey, all these cuts while helping to make it more profitable are also slowing growth. And so now investors are never happy. They're never satisfied. They're like, <laughs> you're not growing as quickly as you used to be anymore, right? What's the deal with that? But it's natural, right? Because you can't have your cake and eat it. Um, so I think that's that balance that is a very fine balance that all these companies are trying to, to strike between cutting their incentives, being profitable, but also continuing to grow. I think that is the challenge for Grab, right? Just at a, on a very high-level basis. Mm -hmm. And then I think if you look a bit more closely, um, mobility and deliveries actually are already um, profitable on an EBITDA basis. What is pulling the company back for now is the financial services segment, right, where they are investing um, heavily into right now. And this year, actually, Digibank is launching in Indonesia and in Malaysia, right? And so the costs are, are going to come in um, over the next few quarters. So, yeah, I don't expect financial services to go into profitability yet. So hopefully, yeah, that gives you an idea of, of where they are at right now. I'll ask a little bit about that in a second. But um, so, you know, the conversation around Grab's business model has always been uh, how much the what would happen once money wasn't free or cheap anymore because yes. it seemed to have been subsidized by that, its ability to go and acquire customers and just keep spending money on them, you know, whether it's through points and incentives and all that. Uh, so there's always been a little bit of a concern over whether the business models actually work in the real world, whether in an era where they actually had to um, go on, be sustainable, whether they could do it with the existing business models and that it wasn't only supported by cheap capital. Um, what do you say, uh, based on the fact that we have already seen interest rates uh, come up, that there are yeah. some EBITDA, uh, some segments, food and mobility is EBITDA positive. Um, yeah. does the bis uh, ultimately, does the business model work uh, yeah. for the long term? I think my, my answer is that the business model worked for some companies at that point in time who were lucky to be growing and to need that capital when it was cheap and free, mm. right? So they, they, they were supported by cheap capital. But for now, at least, I think we can say that it did, it, it seems to be working out for them um, because now they have gained the scale that they need to be able to sustain themselves, right? Uh, I think beyond that, the question then is, will this work for a new entrant to the market? Maybe not because you know, money is no longer so easily available. So if you look about, if you look at things through that lens, that may actually work in favor of the incumbents uh, like Grab because they took advantage of that, of that cheap capital when they needed it. And then now they don't need it as much. And then, you know, um, new players don't have access to that cheap capital anymore. Um, I think uh, for Grab though, the big question, right, is what level of profits can they reach? Mm. Because um, as I mentioned, you know, um, the growth is slowing. And at the end of the day, while Grab may be able to break even, um, uh, it needs to keep growing profits, right? And to do that, it needs to keep growing at the end of the day. And how fast are you going to be able to grow? If you are a tech investor, if you're investing in um, technology company, you want, at the end of the day, no matter what they say, they do want that, that, that profitable, you know, growth. And so I think that is the next hurdle that Grab needs to show that it can it can cross to have that growing you know profitability while um, um not having the same level of incentives and marketing advertising spend. 
Um, so one of those areas could be acquisitions, which we will touch on in just a bit. Before I yeah. get to that, though, it, uh, you mentioned earlier that right now financial services is one of those areas where they haven't reached EBITDA positive just yet. They're still yes. investing quite heavily into it. Obviously, in Malaysia, also we're expecting the DG Bank to come up. Indonesia, uh, we could see yeah. that they've already got the GXS Bank operating in Singapore. I think doors have yes. virtually opened already. Yes, um, what is the potential here over the long term in terms of how this will, could boost profitability uh, for Grab. Do you have any insights here? Yeah. So, um, you know, as mentioned, mobility and food are already profitable, right? So financial services is the one that's losing money. I think, you know, going forward, uh, as things stand, um, I do expect their mobility and delivery businesses to continue being profitable. But um, the level of growth, I think, is an open question for now. It has slowed as to whether it'll pick up again. I think that remains to be seen. There are a few potential... Um, uh, tailwinds that may be able to help Grab's business. So one area that they have been, you know, pointing sort of like analysts to is the revival of tourism. Mm-hmm. Um, as tourists come back, you know, they 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 will hail more rides. Some of them, you know, ordering food delivery as well. So Grab is trying to take advantage of that, right? Return of tourism from China, Korea, Japan, um, to help them grow. But I do think that yeah, that area, you know, what kind of growth can we expect? Uncertain. Um, so in this case, I think really to be profitable, right? Financial services does need to pick up the slack. And if you look at financial services traditionally, because you know they're asset-like businesses, um, the margins tend to be higher, right? Um, but I think the downside is that we are in a tricky um, macroeconomic environment, right? Um, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. There are recession fears. So in that sense, um, to now be in the business of like lending money and in credit. Um, it's not so straightforward. So yeah, I think it really goes back to like the quality of data that Grab has and, you know, um, to help its like lending decisions um, as well as other areas. Of course, you know, there's more to financial services than lending, but I think lending is a big, it's a big part of that. I think lending is one of the more profitable parts, right? I just spoke to WeLabs recently and it seems to be the same situation there. Uh, lending and credit is where the margins are and then everything else kind of you know, adds that holistic picture. Um, yes. So it's going to be an interesting fight Southeast uh, in Southeast Asia in terms of all wow. the DG banks. Everyone uh, wants to be a bank. Everyone wants <laughs> everyone to be a wants bank. Everyone wants to have a, a financial services. Um, that's the other thing, right? So, yeah. For, for a new generation of digital consumers, I think that's the idea, right? That yeah. capture them because you need a pure digital play. So hopefully the idea is that these will be able to cap the, these new players will be able to capture those underbanked or unbanked. Um, yeah. But that remains to be seen, I think at this point. So we'll see how the banks play out, the the DG banks play out. Now there, you know, you mentioned uh, asset light earlier, uh, Simon, yeah. that yeah. used to be the mantra, I think for Grab and all the other platforms. And that doesn't seem to be as much the case. Uh, Grab has gone from asset light to not so light with the acquisitions of Jaya Grocer and very recently uh, Transcab in Singapore. That's the third largest taxi operator. The yeah. Transcab deal, I think is expected to close in the fourth quarter this of 2023. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about what you think the rationale or the strategy is behind this move. Yeah. So, you know, I think um, it is something that's quite unique to Singapore because we have strict caps on the number of vehicles that are on the roads to Singapore, right? These are like government regulations. There has been a limited supply of vehicles coming on and that has been a real choke point for Grab in terms of getting um, cars on the road, right? So because of that, you know, they want to be able to boost the number of drivers and vehicles 
on the Grab platform, so the supply side. And um, I think that's where the Transcrab acquisition makes a lot of sense. Um, Transcrab taxi drivers, right? Not only do they come with a fleet of, of cars, they also come with drivers who tend to work full-time. Mm. Because I think, you know, at the end of the day, um, a lot of the current um, drivers on Grab, actually, they don't drive full-time, right? They are driving, like, you know, um, for a few hours a day, for half the day, just to make a bit of extra pocket money. But when you bring on these, like, um, taxi drivers, a lot of them are, are relying on this full-time for their income. That, I think, will help to increase the supply and so help to relieve this, the shortage. You know, beyond that, there are a few other um, factors that Grab cited. I think, you know, uh, Transcap, it has a very, very old-school, asset-heavy taxi company. So Grab could, can use their technology to make Transcap more efficient. Um, and, you know, there were certain other benefits that um, Grab cited. So I did write about this in, in one of my articles on the Transcap acquisition. So it's uh, things like um, uh, insurance, you know, procurement of parts for the vehicles. If you have a larger vehicle pool, that will be cheaper. Transcap also, because their taxi company has experience in the rental space and repair and maintenance. So that's something that, you know, Grab may be able to learn from. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think really it is about the um, trying to ameliorate the limited supply issue. Right. So on this note, you know, because you noted that it was a very Singapore-based issue given the number, the limitations of vehicles, do you expect yeah. Grab to be to want to make similar moves in other markets it operates in, in terms of the mobility sector? Yeah. So in terms of mobility, I think that it, uh, as 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 far as I know, this issue, you know, is quite unique to Singapore in terms of like the shortage of vehicles. So um, I don't know whether like making a lot of asset-heavy acquisitions across the region is the best way forward, right? Because of the reasons we mentioned. And that also, you know, will without a higher depreciation and amortization costs, which will pull down your, your, your profit margins, right? Um, on an operating profit basis. So, uh, I mean, I, I don't know, but I think um, um, I, I would caution against like reading too much into this in terms of a regional strategy this may be more Singapore specific yeah. now another major uh, acquisition much earlier on was Jaya Grocer and yeah. after there were plenty of calls for on-demand grocery delivery services which has now become more convenient uh, a more convenient method of grocery shopping in the country I think post-pandemic a lot more people have gotten used to this idea of uh, just placing your orders and getting things delivered um how has this acquisition added value to Grab? And now, at this point, at this juncture in time, does it look like it was a smart move? Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, I will I will caveat this by saying that, um, you know, to be honest, I haven't followed the JR grocer acquisition as mm. closely. Um, we did have, you know, an article on it. Um, one of my colleagues did write up on it. But from what I've seen, I think JR has been contributing to um, the delivery segment um, uh, revenue and, you know, profitability. Uh, I think where JR has been interesting for Grab is they have been developing certain technology to, like, improve the, like, experience, you know, um, at, at JR in terms of, like, um, inventory and, and things like that. Uh, so that technology that they've been developing for Grab, they've actually um, said that they're applying that to some of the other partnerships in the region. So if you look at Indonesia... Um, Grab has a partnership with Trans Retail, which is one of the big uh, retailers in Indonesia. And they have uh, this thing called a grey store model where they basically are using, you know, the existing facilities, which are supermarkets, but they're also using them to like store um, 
uh, items uh, for delivery instead of like building out, you know, new like logistics warehouses and stuff, right? They just sort of use that space. But TransRetail is not an acquisition. It's a partnership, mm-hmm. right? And they said that they are using the, the um, tech that they've developed for JR in this relationship in Indonesia as well. So I think if um, that is something that they can apply to other markets, um, that will be an additional uh, benefit from the JR acquisition in Malaysia. So the JR acquisition essentially allowed them to test out new technology and integrate it, vertically integrate it into one existing market. Now that they've built the tech platform, they can now do partnerships. Because as you mentioned earlier, any more big acquisitions could impact EBITDA, which is right now a key priority for them to manage, right? Yeah, I think more big acquisitions, um, you know, may impact profitability, right? So EBITDA doesn't include um, depreciation, amortization, mm-hmm. which uh, the more asset heavy you are, the more your depreciation and um, costs go up. So I think, um, yeah, I, I don't know how many more asset heavy acquisitions they will make, but yeah. definitely, um, yeah, having that JR um, acquisition, you know, has helped them to test it out and, and they own the company, right? So they can sort of use that as a testing bit, as you said, and then, and then look at how they can um, uh, apply this to other markets. Yeah, I guess seeing how the success between the Jaya model and the partnership in Indonesia, they can then see which model works in different markets because yeah. I guess there's also that market-centric approach, right? That it's not a cookie-cutter solution. I think everyone looks at Southeast Asia as this one market, but really it's many markets in one uh, region. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's so diverse. It's, it's, um, you know, I always have to remind myself that like, just because something is the way it is in Singapore doesn't mean it's like this <laughs> of, of the region, obviously. So yeah, I, I think, you know, to anyone looking from the outside in Southeast Asia, it's, it's really, you know, 10 countries and even within countries, there are so many differences, right? Even in Malaysia, you have like uh, Selangor versus like Sarawak. It's like yeah. totally different. So I think, um, yeah, uh, it's really a market by market um, approach in this case. But Definitely, the learning from one, you know, can be applied to to others as well. Simon, let's wrap up on this. Uh, Grab's yep. stock price is down just around 70%, which is a little bit more than that from yes. IPO. Um, so there's bound to be some pressure on management as we're seeing. Um, yep. Where does the company go from here? Yeah. So, you know, I think that um, my impression is that Grab's management does have a pretty clear sense of where they want to go to. So at this point, it's about executing well, right? Um, they, they have their strategy and they need to execute on that. I think, um, you know, in terms of uh, what next, uh, probably they want to make sure, of course, that they are meeting their targets. Mm. So they set, you know, adjusted EBITDA break even by the end of the year. We want to, investors will want to see that happening. You know, um, perhaps going forward, they'll set out a roadmap as well for, um, profitability on a on a gap basis, on an accounting basis, and even like cash flow. I think having those you know markets, um, those markers, sorry for investors will be you know something that investors will will want to see. And um, as I mentioned, you know financial services, I think is is uh, really one of the key things to look out for at this point, right? How do you expand your business without um, while managing the risk, right? In in making uh, these lending decisions, and so that's when you have. Um, things like the alternative data that Grab has, how can they use that to credit score? How will they use AI, right, um, in terms of helping them to make better um, lending decisions? So I, I think that's the um, that's what the company will be focused on going forward. Yeah. Simon, on that note, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me, Roshan.
was a great uh, pleasure to be here. Folks, I was speaking with Simon Huang, Chief Analyst at Tech in Asia, a technology news website covering topics on startups and innovation in Asia. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can catch the podcast on our website at bfm.my or download the BFM app. You can also find our shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and other podcast players. Just look up Enterprise BizBytes. Looking ahead, as we do every day, we've got the Breakfast Grill replay happening after the 1pm news bulletin. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Folks, I'm Roshan Kinison. This has been Enterprise Biz Bites. Keep it here, the BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.